The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. It is good to be back and ready to preach and to share with you today. We're in Psalm 26. Uh, For those of you who are new, my name is Jeff Long. I'm the lead pastor here. I've been away out of the country on a mission trip for a while, and uh, good to be back, an opportunity to share. Welcome those of you who are joining us online as well. It's a joy to be able to be a part of the worship services when you're away, even on the other side of the world, to to be able to participate and to be a part and to hear uh, what's happening. Uh, Today we're going to study together in the 26th Psalm. Uh, If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's a chair Bible underneath a chair close to you or on page 459. Just to kind of let you know where we're headed, uh, I'm going to be Continue to preach through the Psalms. We're going to go through Psalm 33 just prior to Christmas. Take a little break. And then in the first of the year, we normally do a doctrinal study. Uh, We'll be studying the the doctrine of community. What does it mean to have the communion of the saints and how that affects, how that fleshes out in our life together as a church? Then we'll return to the Psalms, go from 34 to 41. That'll complete book one of the Psalms. Then we're going to take an elongated break and study from the New Testament. I haven't fully decided where I'm going to land there yet, but I'm praying through that, and we'll let you know as uh, we approach. But today we give ourselves to a verse-by-verse look at Psalm 26, so I invite you, if you would, to stand as I read the Word of God. Of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence. And go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly I will bless the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we have gathered in this great assembly today, I pray that we will continue to bless the Lord through the preaching and receiving of your word. Speak to us as it relates how to walk in you, how to trust you, and the consequences that brings into our lives. We pray that you would reveal our hearts and our minds now and lead us to repentance where necessary. Lead us to walk with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So let's, let's, let's kind of review for a moment. Last time I was with you was Psalm 23. Psalm 24 asks the question, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And here's what we saw. Christ is the one with clean hands and a pure heart. He is the one who has ascended the hill of the Lord in our place. He lived a sinless life, 
and died in our place a sinner's death that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become a people who follow him. Now, Psalm 25 deals with our sinfulness. In light of the character and the grace of God, we see that we can come in prayer and ask, oh Lord, for your name's sake, pardon my guilt for it is great. Psalm 26, again appealing to the character and the grace of God, reveals that our lives in Christ should result in walking in integrity. And when we walk in integrity, it brings a whole new set of reasons and manners in which we are to pray. Now, to bring this into a context of where I'm coming from and how I'm going to approach the application of this text to your heart and life, is let's first think about the cultural context we find ourselves in here in Gastonia, North Carolina this morning and how people would view the language in a text like this. I would argue, I've lived in this part of the world my whole life, that the cultural norm is first, everybody's a Christian. Okay. Do you ask people, are you a Christian? Yes, everybody's a Christian. But here's the form of Christianity everybody has. Listen very carefully. We're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Now, we are sinners who have been saved by the grace of God, every Christian. But that's not just who we are. Now, this language means, pretty much, now see if you're with me here, it just means the only thing we can basically expect out of each other is more sin. Now, I have a question. Is that what the Bible teaches? That, that we can just expect out of each other, we're just going to sin more and more? Well, you're confronted here with a man who says, I have walked in integrity. I will walk in integrity. So the Bible is teaching that those who are in Christ reveal that in how they live their lives. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, did you hear that? Even the desire to live for Christ, to live a godly life, is going to result in some form of scrutiny or persecution in your lives. Because salvation results in distinct living or godliness, which gives way to scrutiny or persecution. Now, this is simply titled a Psalm of David. He's being scrutinized for living faithfully or living with integrity. We don't know exactly the time frame that this Psalm is tied to or the incident. So we can know that we can apply this Psalm to our daily living and how this affects our lives. So let's break it down into three parts. First, walking in integrity requires prayerful recognition of the presence of the Lord and the need for grace. And this is a prayer. He's praying this to the Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. All right, so let's just imagine we're in growth group this, this evening, and you call on somebody to pray, or the growth group leader calls on somebody to pray, and they say, O Lord, vindicate me. You know I've walked in integrity this week. I'm just wondering how the rest of you are going to handle that. So let's just imagine David's at our prayer group and he prays this way. 
Now remember our cultural norm? Our cultural norm is somebody ought to pray, Lord, we're just a mess. We're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. He's saying, Lord, I've walked in integrity. Judge me. Prove me. This is very different. This is almost confrontational of the way we think. Now, this scrutiny is by the Lord. He, he's trusting in the Lord without wavering. He, and because he's trusting in the Lord, he's walking in integrity. He's not saying, Lord, you owe me vindication. He's not saying, Lord, you owe me because I've been trying to do the right thing. Here's what David's saying. Lord, as best I know, I'm living and walking in integrity, but you know. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Judge me. That's what the word vindicate means. Judge me, verse two. Prove me, try me, test my heart. He's asking for God to give a thorough examination of his life. Now, this has become pretty popular of late. Well, that's Old Testament. That's not really New Testament. Hold on and turn to 1 Corinthians which may or may not be one of the books I'm praying about preaching from from the New Testament, which may or may not be culturally relevant to the world we live in right now. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. <laughs> so here's what he's saying. I can't trust you to rightly judge me. You know what else? I can't even trust myself. You ever faked yourself out? You ever convinced yourself you're something you're not? I guess I'm the only one in the room. I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. Now, this is an honest answer. Paul's saying, I'm not aware of anything that's, that, that, that's wrong here, but I am not thereby acquitted. Just because I'm not aware doesn't mean I'm acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let me just simply illustrate it this way. Uh, R.C. Sproul's ministry has a devotional. We make it available for free. It's called Table Talk. It has a text of scripture, a devotional thought every day, and then it ends, like I am my sermon, so what? Their devotions end with this phrase, quorum Deo. It's a Latin phrase. It means in the face of God or before God. So here's what we ought to realize. Every time that we are confronted with Scripture, we come to a, a moment like this as we're sharing in the Word of God, and it may make you uncomfortable while I'm preaching. You're going to say, well, I'm stomping on your toes or whatever. People make comments like that. Listen to me. Ultimately, ultimately, you're before God. And here's what we're prone to do. We're prone to fake ourselves out. We're prone to fake one another out. And here's what we know, that there is nothing hidden from the Lord down to the very purpose of our heart, why we do something. Now, as we move to verse 3, we're going to see the confidence of David asking for vindication or judgment. Now, Get this, his basis of asking for judgment is not his innocence. His basis for asking for judgment is the character of God. 
For your steadfast love is before my eyes. Do you get this? I'm before God's eyes. Everything's laid bare before God's eyes. That's a frightening thought. But here's what's in front of my eyes. The steadfast love of God. The grace of God. So I'm not keeping my integrity out here as my hope before the Lord. Instead, I keep the steadfast love of the Lord before my eyes. And as a result of that, I walk in your faithfulness, he says. Now let's see how this shows up clearly in the New Testament by turning to the small book of Titus. Titus. It's right before the next, the big major book is Hebrews. So if you got to Hebrews, go back to your left just a page or two and you're going to find Titus. Now listen to the same principle from verse 3 taught here. For the grace of God has appeared. It's full sight. See it. Has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Now what does Paul mean here? He means... That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Christ, who's fully God and fully man, came to this earth, fully manifest before us, lived a sinless life, then died in our place on the cross, a sinner's death, taking what we deserved, was buried three days later, he rose again. All who look to Christ and what God has supplied for our redemption, our saving grace in Christ, all who trust in Christ are saved. It is by God's grace and grace alone. Now what effect does the grace of God and salvation have in our lives? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope of our appearing of our Lord, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, excuse me, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. Was Titus a Jewish man? Anybody know the answer to this? No. And where Titus was was not a a, a former Jewish population. Titus was among the Greeks. Now, these people were utter and complete pagans. And the gospel came to them. And here's what Paul is appealing to Titus as a pastor. That here's what the grace of God does for you. It causes you to live godly in the present place you are. And for those of you who think, well, you know, The Bible's irrelevant. It wasn't like it is today. Listen, you have no idea how pagan it was. You ought to study the first century in depth. Horrendous thing. We're not even there yet culturally where the gospel took hold. And in that present place now applied to us, the grace of God in our lives results in us walking in faithfulness. Now, this brings consequences. It brings consequences in our very lives. Because walking in integrity requires prayerful distinction. Now, none of us in this room walk in integrity by accident. Or none of us naturally walk in integrity. (laughs) My grandmother, bless her heart. My grandmother will say this. She'll still say this. Jeffrey was the sweetest young and ever. 
Now, what, what my grandmother doesn't understand about me, this had nothing to do with my parents, whatever. I'm just naturally inclined this way. This was true at home, school, sports, whatever. I was scared to death to do wrong. Some of you relate to this? Scared to death to do the wrong thing, so I did the right thing. It wasn't a holy motivation to do the right thing. It, it wasn't that I was really wanting to do the right thing. I just didn't want to mess up. Now, some of you are kind of wired that way. You just don't want to mess up, so you try to do the right thing. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about somebody living in fear. In fact, here's what we need to remember. By the grace of God, we have God's yes in Christ. I'm not trying to gain something from God. I already have it in Jesus. In fact, I can't earn it from him. There's nothing that I can gain from him on my own. Now, this next phrase is going to sound to your modern ears arrogant. This is the word of God. Verse 4. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. Now, just a question. Does this sound like somewhere else in the Bible? And I'll ask it even more specific. Does this sound like another psalm? Anybody notice it? Which one? Psalm 1. It sounds like Psalm 1. I've told you from the beginning. Psalm 1 affects how you read and understand the rest of the Psalter. Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, I don't have time to tease this out for you. Here's what's so fascinating about the Psalm. Psalm 26 is the reverse of Psalm 1.1. If you look at it very close, you're going to see sit, stand, walk. But right now we're just going to focus on sit because that's what's here. I do not sit with men of falsehood. I do not consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. So let's just break these down. What does it mean I will not sit with men of falsehood? Does that mean I would never have a meal with a lost person? No, that's not what it means. It means I don't remain. The word sit means remain. It means I don't have a bunch of lost friends that I meet with every day and debate the things of life with. Because if that's what I do, guess who I start to act like and think like? Them. I start buying into the falsehood of what they're purporting and what they're saying. Nor, he says, do I consort with hypocrites. The word consort means to travel with, or we say it in our modern language, hang out with. This is who I do life with. I don't, I don't hang out. I don't do life with hypocrites. Now, this is very specific. We're not talking about the lost guy out here who just does evil, who's never darkened the doors of the church. The hypocrite is the person who comes to church regularly, but outside of the church, they live like the lost guy who's never darkened the doors. The Bible calls that hypocrisy. They pretend. I don't hang out with hypocrites. Now, I'm convinced of what I'm going to say next. You're welcome to write me letters and let's have discussion. Let's just do it kindly, Okay. I am convinced that one of the reasons the church is dying in, in, the, in the Bible Belt is because hypocrites are running churches. And they don't want the Bible taught. They don't want the truth told. Now, they'll claim they believe the Bible. But as soon as you start laying out the truth, now, why do I think that? Because regularly, particularly people who are new to Parkwood, they'll come up to me and go, I can't believe you said that. It's because we've gotten so used to preachers who can't tell the truth because they're scared they're going to get run off. 
I don't say this flippantly. Run me off. Because listen, I don't answer to you. You don't scare me. I answer to God. And, And listen to me. So do you. So you better watch what you insist. I don't consort with hypocrites. Now, if he hadn't been strong, man, this next sentence is strong. I hate the assembly of evil doers. Jesus used the word hate. Hate means that you break from You're not holding some kind of love relationship with those who are workers of evil. Workers of evil means people who consciously do what is contrary to what God has said. Now look what he calls these people. A congregation. Assembly could be translated that way. A congregation of evildoers. I want everybody to listen right now. You are watching a new congregation form in the United States. It is religious. It has a form of righteousness that you got to hold to. If you don't hold to this form of righteousness, you're going to hell and you're an awful person. But this form of righteousness, the idolatry, which the God that is being worshiped is the freedom to do whatever you want to do. And how dare anybody tell you that what you're doing is wrong? He says, I hate the assembly of evildoers. Then he makes a firm definitive statement. I will not remain with the wicked. I reject it. I turn away from it. And let me just sum it up this way. Followers of Christ are distinct people. I've repeated this to you. I've written this in ink on my wall. I don't do this often. In fact, it's the only thing written up there. It says, a distinct people for a distinct time. That's what I pray for you. That you will be a distinct people for a distinct time. Now, in verse 6, he says, I wash my hands in innocence. Now think about Pilate. He wanted rid of Jesus. He didn't want to crucify Jesus. He wanted that. So he brought a basin of water out and he washed his hands. Pilate was not admitting guilt there. Pilate's saying, I'm not guilty. You are. And that's what David's saying here. I wash my hands in innocence. I'm not guilty of these things. I'm walking integrity. I, I don't sit and consort and I hate the assembly. I don't sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence. I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud, telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. Now here's what happens for us. The grace of God, that which we have not earned or deserved, elicits in us vocal thanksgiving. Not just thankful hearts, it does, it begins in the heart, but it gives birth in a vocal thanksgiving. We come together up with God's people to tell of God's wondrous deeds. Now, here's what we're not going to do on Sundays. 
We're not gonna parade you by here one after another so you can tell how you walked in integrity this week. Here's all the right things I did. That would, that would decline into something incredibly negative and self-gratifying and arrogant. You know what we do? We get together each week and we tell of God's wondrous deeds. We celebrate what God has done. I've had, I've had people who are not Christians yet or either new Christians say, do y'all like really sing about the cross every week? Uh, yeah. It's the most wonderful thing God's done on this earth is the cross and the resurrection. And we come every week to remind ourselves. And I'm gonna tell you this, a church that doesn't remind themselves of God's most wondrous deed will wander away from the Lord quickly. We come to remind ourselves of what God has done. We love being in, God, in the presence of God with God's people and we're gonna long to be with him forever. Now, he begins a contrast in verses nine or 10. This could go with the third point or this point, we're just gonna use it as a transition. He again contrasts himself with sinners and states his trust in God, it's implied. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, and whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. Now, if you read this and you're not really paying attention, you can think, wow, David thinks he's in danger of going to hell. That's not what he means. When you put it in the context of the whole psalm, here's what he's saying. Sweep my soul away with sinners. What he's talking about is there is a day coming, a great judgment, when God is going to sweep up all of humanity. Jesus describes it with a parable in Matthew of the separating of the wheat and the tares. That everything's going to be swept up in the final harvest and God's going to separate the wheat, those who are his people, from the tares. Now, he says you can't do that because the tares look like the wheat. You don't know the difference. God knows the difference. And he says, don't, don't sweep me away. He's not afraid this is going to happen because God is going to separate his people from bloodthirsty people, from those whose hands are given to evil, who, who are given to bribes. In 2 Timothy 2.19, here's what the Bible says. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. You can count on this. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now this is getting to two doctrines which really could be tied together. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saint and the doctrine of assurance. Baptists say it this way. Once saved. Now that is very dangerous. You notice I don't say that. It's not because I don't believe it. It's because you hear something different when people say that. Here's what I think most people in this part of the world hear when you say once saved, always saved. I think they hear as long as you went forward in a church service, you're going to heaven. You agree with me? That's not what it means. It is God who saves and all whom God has saved will be saved forever. I believe that. But I also believe Jesus taught a parable of the wheat and tares that there's some people who pretend to be Christians who are not. And you gotta be real careful how you apply that text or that thought. 
Now, I do believe the Christian can have assurance that we can be assured of our salvation. Romans 8 teaches this. And, and what we see here in, in, in day, in, is that the Lord knows who are his. We can be assured that if we are his, we are his forever. Now, here's the perseverance of the saints. Those who are truly Christians will live like Christians. They will. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let me illustrate from my own life quickly. Um, my life was radically changed my senior year of high school. I heard the gospel. I believe I was converted in middle school, but was not discipled. My senior year, uh, I began to be discipled, but I was still struggling with a lot of my ways. Um, I didn't have a peer who was a follower of Jesus. There were followers of Jesus at my high school. I just didn't know who they were. Kind of shows you the crowd I was in. But I knew this one girl I went to school with, her mom, who's a substitute teacher. I knew she was a Christian. I was friends with this girl. Sometimes I would drop by her house. I just wanted to talk to her mom. So I'd stop by that one night. It was out in the country. I grew up in a rural farmland. And I was going to a party. And uh, everybody knows everybody's business where I'm from. You just think they know everybody's business in Gastonia. Where I'm from, everybody knows everybody's business. I was leaving her house. She said, where are you going? And I told her where I was going, or, or going, and she said, I knew that. She said, why are you going, Jeff? And I said, well, you know, my friends are lost, and I'm I just trying to be a light in a dark world. She said, that's not why you're going. I thought, well, that's judgmental. We talked for a few minutes, and she looked at me. She said, Jeff Long, you're going because you want to. And I got mad and I got my 65 Mustang and took off a little faster than I should have. I drove down those curvy roads and I, I can still remember, I pulled up at Greedy Highway and I got out and walked down that long driveway. I'll prove you. And I walked up in the midst of what was going on. And it was the first time in my life that I thought, you have nothing to do with this. And you don't have any business being here. Now those guys that are standing over there that your heart is broken for and you want them to see Jesus, they're not consciously aware that you're even here. And there's no way you can help them. Tomorrow afternoon on the basketball court, once they've sobered up, maybe. But tonight, no. And I made a decision. And I want you young people to hear me. I made a decision. I got in my car by myself and I left. The next six months were the loneliest period of my life. I've never experienced loneliness like that. But I decided that day I was going to depart from iniquity. God blesses his word. It doesn't mean I've lived in perfection. I still struggle with my flesh. But that godly woman was right. I was going because I wanted to. Now, what's got to be true in my life then? Third and final point, walking in integrity requires prayerful dependence and perspective. 
I never leave dependence and I never leave perspective. As for me, I shall walk in my integrity. This is a declaration of loyal commitment. It's personal. As for me, I shall walk in my integrity. It's an active commitment. That's what I'm going to go forward. Then he says, redeem me and be gracious to me. This is a humble, dependent prayer. Redeem me and be gracious to me. Now, we all understand this biblically. We all have a need for redemption. Our integrity will never save us. It is the integrity of Christ. He's the blessed man who died in our place. He's the only one with full integrity. It is the integrity, the righteousness of Christ that has purchased me and that is covering me. And if that's true of you, if you're in Christ. Now, this could mean, this could mean, some commentators think, David's saying, redeem me from this situation. Even that is a dependent situation. He's not saying, God, I've done the right thing. Now you owe me to bail me out. You better watch that. God may let you go through difficulty, a long period of difficulty, to refine you and to make you closer to him. Here's what we need regardless. Be gracious to me. It is his grace that we need. Then he ends in verse 12. It's very personal in verse 11, then ends in verse 12 this way. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Now, I'm not satisfied fully with my understanding of what my foot stands on level ground means. In fact, most commentators have avoided trying to explain it. But I do know this. I do know this. God's not looking down on Parkwood this morning going, You're a rock star. You're awesome. You live the best life of all these people. You're incredible, loser. You're awesome. It's not what he's doing. For all who are Christians, he sees us on level ground. He sees us all through the blood of Jesus. All who are in Christ are new creations. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. If you're not a Christian, he sees you in need of Christ. Believe the gospel today and repent of your sin. For all who stand on this level ground in the great assembly, he says, I will bless the Lord. Now here's the the, the presupposed idea. In the great assembly, there are others blessing the Lord. Now, here's what I need. Here's what you need. We need to come together with God's people and bless the Lord. Here's my final question. It ties to that. As followers of Christ, are we purposely living in such a way that we need security in the face of scrutiny? Now, notice I I, I use the plural pronoun here. I'm not just talking to you personally. This ought to be true of us collectively. Now, a text of a sermon like this can elicit questions, so I'm going to go ahead and head off the question. You're still free to Email me and we can discuss this calmly and rationally and and biblically. But you could say, well, you know, Jesus ate with sinners. He did. He did. Jesus Jesus reached out to those who, who were outside of the faith. But Jesus didn't make it an either or thing in his life. And it was clear who he was. And he never sinned. And he never called on his followers to compromise themselves 
and to live contrary to who they were to be. Here's what I think some of you are doing when you want to say, well, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners. I think you're trying to create a false dichotomy of the scripture. That's either we hang out with sinners or we live with integrity. The Bible's saying we hang out with sinners appropriately as we walk in integrity. We never leave our integrity. We never leave following Christ. Now I want you to turn with me to Acts 4. Acts chapter 4. And I'm just going to bring it down to the brass tacks of what's going on. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Just post that right there on Facebook today with no comment. And then don't comment. Watch what happens. Your believing friends will amen you. The non-believing people that follow you will jump all over that. Now, here's the world we live in. Everybody track with me now. Track with me. You Christians are fine as long as y'all go to church and keep it right there. Y'all are fine. Now, you just be quiet when you're around us. Y'all just hush. And by the way, don't live too distinct. Just blend in with the rest of us. Everything be fine. They summoned the disciples together. They told them, don't you teach in this name anymore. Don't, don't, you, don't you go out and proclaim the name of Jesus. There's salvation in no one else. They said, they responded, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So they left the place being threatened not to do it anymore. Verse 23, when they released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, now this is prayer, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now let's just pause right there. Everybody look up here. Was it God's plan that Jesus die? Do you hear the implication of what these people are praying? We're going to proclaim the gospel, God. You're sovereign. You had a plan for your son. We yield to the plan for our lives. We're not going to listen to them. We're going to be who you called us to be, and we're going to say what you called us to, to, to say. And it says, when they prayed, the place they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let me illustrate it in a simple way. In the mid-90s, I was a youth pastor here. Um, kids, not as much as it is now, almost every school in Gaston County or every form of education in Gaston County is represented in our church. Back then, there were only a few high schools represented. One of the more prominent high schools where many of our kids went. One Wednesday night, I'll never forget it. Some of the kids came up to me, there's three or four of them, and said, this just started. They're, they're calling us the Parkwood cult at school. By the way, some of you know this still exists in the adult world here. That Parkwood's a cult. Some of you know. 
the pockets of this city where that still goes on. I said, well, do you think we're a cult? No. I said, well, why do you think they're calling you that? Well, it's probably because, like, um, we've been praying at lunch. We sometimes bring our Bibles. We've been talking to our friends about Jesus. We stopped doing some things we used to do. I said, okay, here's what's happening. They want two things. They want two things from you. Conform and act like the rest of them. Number two, they want you to shut up. So they're going to belittle you and intimidate you to get you there. So let me just say, 2018, adults in every walk of life, and I've had people come up to me after every service who work in all different stratas of employment, people in school, people in their families. I've had all kinds of people come up to me and ask for prayer after the service, and I'd be glad to pray with you today. Here's what the world around you wants you to do. Act like the rest of them and shut up. That's what they want. Now, let me say this to you before you walk out of here. Is this an arrogant prayer? Is it? Then don't act arrogant on Facebook and when you speak up. That isn't accomplishing anything. Nothing. We're humble followers of Jesus and we trust him with the outcome in our lives. It is my prayer that many, many of you will continue to walk in integrity. And for those of you who are not, who are Christians, that you will repent today. And for those of you who are not followers of Christ, you will never earn your way to God, ever. Repent of your sin today and trust in Christ to save you and to transform your life. And I'm gonna pray and there are gonna be pastors here. If you're being scrutinized in your life and you need prayer, will you come up and let them pray for you this morning? Maybe you shared that with your growth group or your friends. Maybe y'all just want to come up and pray. You don't want to involve the pastor. That's great. Or you need to follow Jesus. We'll be here to talk with you. Let's pray. Father, as we bow together in your presence, we acknowledge this is your holy word. We acknowledge that we live in the face of God. There's nothing hidden from your sight, not one thing. We acknowledge that you're gracious toward us and that you sent your son to die in our place for us. And we acknowledge that you have called us to live as unto you. So as you, Holy Spirit, move throughout this auditorium, as you move in the hearts and lives of people watching online, I pray that you would bring us to repentance and dependence and that we would trust in you in this moment to walk by faith and not by sight. Move, we pray in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.